0: There is a refuge from the fall There is a peace this world can know It's in his name There is a song in darkest night A dawn of hope, a guiding light There is a help in helpless plight in name. It's in His name. in his name his, his name, name is wonderful, wonderful counselor, my counselor. My Never fails. It's in His name. It's in His name. It's in His name. It's in His name.
1: I was reading in my devotions today in Jeremiah chapter number 10 and the passage starts off talking about how they had replaced God with idols and they were worshiping idols made out of wood and stone and gold and silver and I came across verse number t- um, let's see here where is it <clears throat> verse number six for as much as there is none like unto thee O Lord thou art great and thy name is great in might and just meditating on not only is God great but his name is great, and that's kind of what they sang about this morning. And today we're going to be spending some time just considering God and his acts in creation. We've got uh, Brother Brian Estelle, he's going to come and he's going to do a presentation. I believe they've got some PowerPoint stuff to go with it. Um, We may need to get the screen down and get all that warmed up real quick. But he's going to come, his wife will do some science stuff, and then he's going to conclude with the word of God as well. So if you don't mind.
2: I'm going to stand to the side. side. Can you hear me okay? Is it, am I on? Okay. And I'm going to stand to just to uh, uh, point out certain things on, on the slides here. Uh, it is so wonderful to be back with you. Uh, I don't know if you remember, I know Pastor, Pastor Carsey does, but it's been, we want to say, about seven, eight years since we've been here. I can't believe it's been that long. Um, and you probably, those of you who were here, you probably remember that we had, our, had children with us. Well, uh, three of them are married, and two of them are in college, and we have one left at home. She's a senior that we homeschool, or should say my wife homeschools, um, and she's she's going to be 18 in October this, this month, so they just grow up, don't they? They grow up, and then they move away, and um, so it's just exciting to, to be back and to be able to share and to see some familiar faces and we are just, we, we live in Illinois, we're working our way back uh, from the Grand Canyon and Bryce Canyon and probably many of you have, have seen that, but it, it reminded me when we were singing about the, really the grandeur of the Lord and just, uh, when we think about creation, we think about all that we see and we just see, we stand in awe and, and standing in front of the Grand Canyon, if you've done that before, you're just in awe. And of course, an evolutionist would say this is, a, this is a testimony to evolution. But we know that that's a, not, a lot of nonsense because you look at it, this is something that had to take place very, very quickly. But anyway, we look at it and we see the, just the power and the might of God and His majesty. Uh, so we're going to start with called Discovering the Proper Perspective. And so there's two different perspectives. In our society today, there is the biblical perspective, and then there is the what's called the secular the evolutionary perspective. And so, we're going to go back and forth on that. And so, I've asked my wife to come up, and she's going to give more of the science aspect of those, and showing the different perspectives of what science says. Here's evolution, and here's what real science says. So, Carl, if you want to come up and do that, and I think uh, let me just use one of these. And is that? There, we turn it on there. So, all right. Now, right. we've got the slides here.
3: All right. So, yeah, that's on. All right. So, we're going to look at the proper perspective. And go ahead. So, for a few minutes now, you're not going to be in church. You're going to be in science class. This is geology 101. All right. Now, if you look up here, If you were told and explained how this is a hummingbird drinking from a flower, does everybody see the flower? And you see the beak drinking, and you see the little wings, and you can talk about how fast those little wings beat. And and if from the time you were little, all the way up, you've been told this is a hummingbird, you would believe it's a hummingbird. And that's how it is with a lot of areas in science. You've been told one thing over and over and over, and of course, you're going to believe it. However, next, this is a rabbit. Does everybody see the rabbit? It depends on the perspective. Next. So this morning, we're going to look at the importance of perspective and the importance of how you look at things. And we all need to learn that everything we're told and taught isn't necessarily true, and we need to think through it and, and see. All right, next one. Now, the secular perspective is that billions of light years ago, life began by chance. That somehow those little amino acids came together and formed a protein, and those proteins came together and formed a living cell, and they can say it in a way that it really sounds right. Next. However, today, as we look at a cell through a microscope, we can see all the intricate little parts of a cell. And there is no way that it happened by chance. Because all of those little parts are made because they're following the instructions of DNA. And that DNA is like a computer code. No one would believe a computer code just came to be. It takes a writer to make a computer code. And it took a writer to make DNA. And the DNA then is the instructions for all of life. Now, Louis, go ahead, Louis Pasteur discovered the law of biogenesis. And you all are familiar with his name, even though you may not know it, because at the store, what kind of milk do you buy? Pasteurized milk. That's because the milk has been heated to high temperatures to kill all the germs and then sealed up airtight. And he's the one who discovered that if you boil things and seal them up airtight, they'll keep and they won't spoil. The thought in his day was that soup actually gave birth to bacteria or that milk just, bacteria just grew out of it. But he showed that no, it was bacteria in the air landing in the milk that caused the milk to spoil. So, even something as simple as bacteria has to come from other bacteria. It can't just come about. Next. Now, the secular perspective is given enough time, one organism will slowly change into something new. And that's the whole line of evolution. But as you look at this amber, they say this amber is 50 million years old because you find it so low in the layers. When you look at the geological column, the lower in the layers, the older it is. But if this was really 50 million years old, and if evolution were really true, then everything we find in the fossils should be different from what we have today. It would have changed. But that spider and mosquito, they are exactly like what we have today. Next. Then we've got the horseshoe crab. Horseshoe crabs are found at the very lowest rock. That's why they're given the the age of 450 million years old. But they're exactly the same as what we find on the beaches today. They haven't changed. Cryonoids, we've got some cryonoids out on the back table. Cryonoids are called sea lilies because they look like a lily growing on the bottom of the sea, but actually they're they're an animal, more like a starfish, and they catch things with their little um, arms and then eat them. But they're exactly like the fossils are exactly like what we have today; they haven't changed at all. Next. Now, the secular perspective of dinosaurs is that they went extinct 65 million years ago, long before the appearance of man. Next. But real quick, where the word dinosaur comes from is the word from um, terrible lizard, and it's Latin. So Sir Richard Owen was classifying these very large bones, putting them into the museum there in London. And back then, all scientists spoke in Latin. So he called them dinosaur. And he actually coined the word. He invented that word. So before his time, 1841, you could not find the word dinosaur in any book. It hadn't been invented yet. Before that time, the bones were named, okay, next one, but they used to be called dragons. So dragons were actually real creatures. And here you see the Chinese um, calendar, and all of these animals have the year of the horse, the year of the chicken, the year of the pig, the year of the dragon. They wouldn't have thrown in a myth along with all these other animals. Next one. Marco Polo went and toured China. He spent years and years going all over China. Then he wrote a book, and in his book, he talks about all the dragons that they really had in China. Next one. But how did the real creature become today's myth? When they really saw the dragons, some of them were land creatures, some of them flew. Eventually, they all died out. But the stories kept being told over and over and over. And gradually, those stories blended together to what we have as a dragon today, where every dragon has wings. Okay, But every dinosaur did not, really. Now, one, one word on that. Um, the dragons today are often associated with witchcraft. So you do have to be careful of that, especially the kids nowadays. Right, next one. Right, secular perspective. Fossils formed when organisms were slowly buried layer upon layer over millions of years, and this is what creates the geological column, right? Next one. But here you have an octopus found in Lebanon. Now, an octopus is totally soft muscles and skin, no bones. That's going to rot away and decay very quickly. You have to bury that whole octopus very quickly if you want to turn it into a fossil. And this was so well fossilized, they scraped some of the dried up black from the ink sac, mixed it with water, and made the ink to draw this octopus. So even the ink sac it had not decomposed. Next one. Then you have jellyfish in Wisconsin. Now, first you have to ask, What in the world are jellyfish doing in Wisconsin? But then, how did they get buried quick enough to where they could be fossilized before they melted away? Next one. Then you have Fossil Butte. This is one of my favorite places to go, and we've got several fish out in the display from Fossil Butte. At Fossil Butte, you find fish of all sorts, but you also find alligators, horses, In lemurs which is quite interesting next one but here's where you find the fish you've got this whole mountain in the middle of a desert in Wyoming and when you go up to the very top where the arrows are pointing to there is 18 inches that's where the fish are if these layers were really laid in a lake over millions of years we should find fish all the way up, because fish lived in the lake the whole time. But they're only in that top 18 inches. Next. And this is the way we find them. Complete fish. They haven't decomposed, and they haven't been eaten. right? So it shows they had to have been buried very, very quickly. Otherwise, a dead fish, they bloat and they float. They don't just sink to the bottom and slowly get buried with sediment. Next one. And that's the way you find them. If you ever want to take your kids fossil hunting, Fossil Butte is the place to do it. Everybody finds a lot of stuff. Next one. Now, this is a dinosaur dig that we went on in South Dakota. And they even say with the dinosaurs that they were slowly buried year upon year, layer upon layer. But if that were the case, the bones would rot away. Instead, you have to bury it quickly and deeply in a lot of wet mud. And the reason you need wet mud is because the wet mud, the silica, can seep into the bone and turn it into stone. If you just bury it in a bunch of dry sand, it won't fossilize. It'll rot away. But to turn it into stone, you have to have silica seep into the bone. Next. So the question we need to be asking is, How did the dinosaurs get buried in a lot of wet mud? Next one. Now, the secular perspective is that Earth's features take millions of years to form. And you know what I just realized? We did not pass out the note sheets. So just hand them to me. I'm going to have these out by the museum, unless someone wants to pass them out now. Huh? Yeah, so there's not really enough time to do a lot of writing on these, but this lists all the topics, and you can go home and look up more. So that's more the purpose of the notes. So everything we're going to talk about is on that sheet, going in order. All right, and we are about to get to my favorite part, so I'm glad I remembered the notes. So the secular perspective is that Earth's features take millions of years to form. As Brian mentioned, we were just at the Grand Canyon, and you stand there at the rim of the canyon, and you see the Colorado River at the bottom, and the secular perspective is the Colorado River slowly over millions of years carved out this canyon. Next one. But there is a lot of things in the world right now that we can see that have happened very quickly. And the island of Surtsey is one example, and it is a great one to go look up more about. In 1965, an underwater volcano happened that quickly formed into this island. Next one. Within two years, the island was covered with grass, flowers, and nesting birds. It looked old when it was just two years old. Next one. The beach was ground-up lava rock, and the boulders were rounded in just two years. This looks like Hawaii, which they say took millions of years to get to the state it's in now. Next one. But then you have Mount St. Helens. And at Mount St. Helens, things happen so quickly but, go on, I've got an hour-long presentation, next one, that we're going to condense in five minutes. <laughs> in one day, two-thirds of the mountain was blown away. Next one. This canyon here was carved two years later, not by this little stream that runs through, but by a mud flow that came out of the mouth of the volcano and rushed down very, very quickly. So in one day, this was carved. Next one. That mud flow went on into the valley and carved this canyon in just one day. Next one. And now you can walk down into that canyon and look up at the sides and see everything that was laid during the eruptions. So all of these layers were laid very, very quickly. Look at the middle part there. It's finely layered. But it wasn't layer upon layer. Fast-moving water, in this case it was steam, will sort sediments into all of those layers. So the layers were laid in one big rush altogether. Next one. Next one. Now the secular perspective is that peat forms coal. And we have some coal on the back table that in the, in the swamp, the, the peat slowly collects in the swamp, and over millions of years, that area sinks down and the ocean comes in, the area rises and the swamp comes back, the area sinks and the ocean comes in, it rises and the swamp comes back, and that's how you get layers of lime rock, coal, lime rock, and coal, okay? That's their perspective. Next one. But at Mount St. Helens, there was a whole lot of trees that were washed into Spirit Lake. And as they're floating on, on top of Spirit Lake, all of their bark was rubbed off and sank to the bottom. Three feet of peat collected very, very quickly. So it's not coal, and it won't become coal. It's rotting away. To make it coal, you have to bury it. Next one. The secular perspective is trees that are petrified, that's where they grew, and they were slowly buried and turned to stone. But this is one in Colorado Springs, and notice it's upright. That's why they say that's where it grew. Next one. But at Spirit Lake, as those trees became waterlogged, they began to sink, and many of them sank upright. Dr. Austin actually went scuba diving on the bottom of Spirit Lake. And he saw trees that were upright, just as if that's where they grew, but that's where they sank, not where they grew. Next one. These are called concretions, and the secular scientist has no way of knowing how they form. It's a mystery of science. These big, round rocks that you can find in different places. This is South Dakota. Next one. But at Mount St. Helens, concretions formed when the hot ash landed in nearby streams and twirled around on the eddies, collected together, and became a little stone that dropped out. So the bottom of the stream beds, you can find these small concretions. So imagine what it took to make a large concretion. All right, next one. All right, Your turn.
2: gears here we want to talk about what the biblical perspective as uh, versus the evolutionary or secular perspective and one of the things that evolutionists used to tout a lot was that the bible was full of mistakes uh however uh and this is their reasoning is it's been copied so many times you probably heard that i'm sure pastor you've heard that and and that's that's a lot of times their excuse whether whether they're a full pledged evolutionist or whatever that that's that's the excuse that they will have so that they don't have to be held accountable to God, and, and we we'll, won't get into that. But, but the Dead Sea Scrolls is a great example of how this is that this their secular perspective is nonsense. So what do we have in, in the Dead Sea Scrolls? In 1947, a shepherd boy was throwing a rock, and you can imagine how boring that would be. He's Throwing a rock into in Qumran, the Dead Sea area, and here's a crash. Goes to investigate, and he's oh, buried treasure. But it ends up being that, yes, it's, it's buried treasure, but not necessarily the treasure that he's thinking of. But this is amazing find. So in 1947 to 56, we have over 800 scrolls that are uncovered, 19 complete copies of the book of Isaiah, 25 copies of Deuteronomy, 30 copies of Psalms and parts of every Old Testament book except the book of Esther. So you might say, well, Brian, what's the big deal still with this? Well, this is the big deal, and that is, if I can click this, oops, what did I do wrong here? Uh Uh-oh. Maybe back it up, and I'll try that again. I guess I Sorry about that. (laughs) This is the big deal, and that is when we compare the oldest manuscripts that we had previously to the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have a 2,000-year gap that's, that's, that's complete, and there is virtually nothing that has changed between that. I don't have time to get into the way that these men preserved the scriptures, but they but they took they were painstakingly uh, verse by verse, or letter by letter, actually, that they would and and to make sure that they were preserving God's word. Now there were other things in the Dead Sea Scrolls, but when it came to God's word, they were very clear that they were going to make sure there were going to be very little of any mistakes whatsoever. So that is amazing when you think about that. So let's go and you know the you know the, another secular perspective or evolutionary perspective is that that according to the evolutionary timeline, Moses should not have been able to write, be able to write. But, and so they say, oh, well, as far as the first five books of the Bible, we, we know that, that was that came much later, and just blah, blah, blah. But what we see really is that another archaeological discovery proved that wrong, and that is, I keep going to the wrong thing here. And that is the ebla tablets. Anyone ever heard the ebla tablets before? Okay, Pastor, good. So I, years ago, I did a lot of research on the Ebla tablets because it was so fascinating to me. And as here, he had a farmer in Syria who was plowing his field and hit something. He's like, "Oh, another rock!" He turns it over, and it's this cuneiform writing. So he uncovered a library without realizing it. So what do we have at this in, in Syria here that was discovered? Ebla, fifteen thousand tablets that were uncovered. It recorded one hundred fifty years of history. Going back to 2300 BC, this is a good thousand years before even Moses is around. So, it was writing around? You bet it was. It was very perfected, and in this case, it was in using form. And so, it was, it was neat because it revealed a lot of the, the, the ancient cities that the Bible talks about. So, it was really inadvertently not only proving that writing was around, but yet that the scriptures were very reliable. And by the way, if you're, a, if you're a good archaeologist, biblical archaeologist, digging in the, the Holy Land area, you, whether you're a Christian or not, you consult the Scriptures because they've been proven over and over and over to be accurate, and they've never been proven wrong. It's astounding. You know, the biblical perspective is that God created everything. It says, six days shalt thou labor, do all the work, all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, for in six days... The Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. So here, if you could picture this, though so Moses is on Mount Sinai, and he has supplied the tablets, but God himself is the one who's writing down the Ten Commandments. And so we get to this, talking about the, the seventh day of rest. He's, God's making it very clear that he created the world in six literal days and then rested or, his case, or just ceased from labor because God doesn't rest. It was made for us to rest on the, on the Sabbath day. Um, and so I'm not going to argue with God on that. There are a lot of people, and I, I'm convinced to me, most of them probably, all of them are believers, but they believe in what's called theistic evolution. And You probably have heard this before. They believe they could take evolution, they could take the Bible, and they can blend them together. But the problem with that is you get to passages like this and then you get into passages in Genesis 1 and 2 where God makes it very clear with the numerical adjective, day one, numerical adjective, day two, et cetera, that this is a clear 24-hour day period and it's not a long period of time. Because if you believe in theistic evolution, you've got to, you've got to put the two together in order to believe in the millions of years. But that's not what God says. God says, I created the world in six days and rested the seventh. So then we have the law of biogenesis. Again, that has never been proven wrong that pre existing life comes from, from life. It's not, life begets life. And there's no Frankensteins involved here that, that something was dead and we can make it alive, or something that's never been alive and we make it alive. That just doesn't happen. You know, the biblical perspective is that there are distinct kinds. For instance, God, made, God told the plants to reproduce after their kind the birds and the fish to reproduce after their kind, and the cattle and the beasts to reproduce after their kind. And then we get to these crowning achievements, and that is God created man and woman in his image. And when I was a teacher, I used to tell my students, and so, so God when God created the chicken, the chicken began to do what chickens do immediately, and the same way with cows and dogs, whatever creature that he created. It was alive. It was doing what it was supposed to do. But when God created Adam, he laid there, and there was, he was lifeless until what? Until God breathed into him the breath of life. And it, that's the distinction. One of the distinctions, of course, is that man is going to be completely separate from all the creatures that God had previously created. And so that, that is because there's some people today who try to blend this together. And, of course, the, the perspective of, oh, well, you can, we can abort babies because they're not really they're not really fully human until after they're born, or in some cases, they're, doing, they're boarding them after that, too. So it's just really getting disgusting. But we know from the beginning uh, that, that of conception that a, a, a baby is made in God's image. So observations in science, we see kinds uh, are, are all there, but yet they're flexible. So in other words, according to the DNA, then... We have various kinds of horses. We have various kinds of dogs and things like that. And yet, and so that's what we see. So nobody would say that, that this is some type of a mixture of horse and something else, right? You look at this and you say what? It is horses, but they're all different shapes and sizes, but yet they're still horses. You know, if I had a slide up here for dogs, we'd have the same thing, the same way with cats. And we could go on and on and on. But if evolution were true... We should see things like this. How about that? You seen anything like that at your bird feeder lately? <laughs> Can you all see? Am I blocking your way? Okay. So I want to call it Ellibird or whatever. This is not something that we're going to see. But yet, if evolution were true, we should see millions of things like this in the fossil record. And we should see this going on today. Now, we should, as human beings, should be different as well. But we're not. You know, some people say, oh, well, what about Neanderthal man and Peking man and all these other things, which um, I don't have time to get into. I have just a, a lecture I do on ancient man. But I should say this is that even secular scientists today, the Neanderthal man, is no different than modern humans. So, yes, there there is some facial differences and things like that, but we're all, but, you know, there are some differences, you know, that we have from the Tower of Babel that we go out. But uh, we should see... Again, millions of these in the fossil record and, and alive today. If this was if this was really happening, but it's not, and, and the magic wand for evolution is time. Well, and they keep increasing that time. It's not just millions now; it's into the billions, et cetera, uh, because you got to have a lot of time for that to take place. But if there's been enough time that goes by. We would see a lot of we, we should see a lot of transitions, but we don't. You know, the biblical perspective is that there was a worldwide flood. And the flood was 40 days upon the earth and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered and the mountains were covered. And that's important because the Bible says it was a worldwide flood. It would have covered the mountains. And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle, the creeping things and the fowl of the heaven. And Noah only remained alive and they that were with him in the ark. So that's what the Bible says. And so we see examples of that as uh, my wife had mentioned about the different layers, the sedimentary layers. Did you know that we have the same sediment? When you go to the Grand Canyon, how many have been to the Grand Canyon? Okay, okay lots of hands have been to the Grand Canyon. So you looked at the Grand Canyon, you see all these different layers. The Coquino sandstone and the Tapete sandstone, and they just keeps on going up. Well, all those layers, maybe you didn't know this, are filled with fossils. And they're all mostly sea-bearing creature fossils that are, that are in there. So, but these same layers that you see in the Grand Canyon, you see in England and other places of the world. Like, what in the world? How can this be? But it's because the worldwide flood covered the whole world and laid down uh, hundreds and hundreds of miles and thousands of miles, really, of the same sediment all over the world. And so this is a great example. You go to the Grand Canyon, and you look at it, and you say, boy, this is amazing, because what, what has happened is the, the Earth has been opened up, showing us the different layers that would have been laid down during the flood. It's like pancakes laid on top of one another, and then you cut them and open them up, and and half, and you can see those different layers. That's what you should think of when you should go when you go to the Grand Canyon, because it's a, a result of the flood. And then we see coal layers and all that. That is a result of the flood, uh, and uh, just a perfect example of that. Shell Falls. This is a uh, in. Wyoming just before you go, the Bighorn Mountain just before you go into Yellowstone, um, what do you find on top of this mountain is, a, is a, um, a fall that has these closed clams inside. They're fossilized. Now, if you know, if you've been out to the beach, um, you know that when clams die, they pop open, right? Well, there's a muscle there that, that uh, that's holding it together, but then when it dies, it just just releases because there's no reason for it to, to do that anymore because it's dead. But when you find fossilized clams that are closed clams, you know that something had to be, they had to be rapidly buried and they didn't have a chance to, to die normally like they would. So it was quickly preserved and that's what we find. They're high on the mountains. What is it, clams on top of the mountains, on some of the highest mountains? That just doesn't seem that seems ridiculous. Like Mount Everest has sea clams on top of it. How did they get here? Well, the secular perspective, they're scratching their head. They have different ideas, but it's not easy. It's, it's, it's a no brainer for me because the Bible says the world was covered by water. And so the mountains would have been on the ocean floor. And then God raised the land and lowered the sea in Psalms 104, he talks about. And so we have these different fossils on top of the mountains after they were raised. So, the unexplainable, unexplainable becomes clear in the light of the flood. And I like this because this looks like a what? A, what do you see here? A question mark. Do you see a question mark? So, the secular perspective is that they would look at this and they would say, hmm, boy, this is a result of millions of years of erosion and whatnot. But we look at that, I'd say we, as in my wife and I and others look at this and say, no. When God raised the land, he lowered the sea, the have all this water rushing off rapidly into either, well, the continental divide either to the, towards the Gulf or towards the, the Pacific Ocean. And, and in this case, it's the Pacific Ocean, and, and it's, going to, it's going to channelize. It's going to erode things rapidly. It's going to make all these formations that you see a lot out west. And so here's an example of that. And so for us, it's a matter of a few thousand years not not millions of years of eons of time that they would say. In the ark, all were safe and sound, but outside its walls, all else had drowned. The beautiful world that God had made was now a swirling, mud-filled sea, for God could not allow wickedness to be. Oh, how he grieved while destroying his creation when splitting asunder its very foundation, watching layer after layer of mud and debris being laid Beneath man and beast's watery grave, oh, if only people would learn to behave. It's not hard to imagine what could have transpired, what thoughts the turbulent sea inspired. While watching the death of those who had strayed, I can almost hear God the Father say, My son, my son, how shall we teach them to obey? And his reply, let's turn these trees to stone and preserve the animal's bone. Then as the waters from the land receive, it will channel through the muddy ground, uncovering the fossils so they'll be found and so generations that come and go will have no excuse but to know for there in the rocks they will clearly read the story of this destructive day they'll be reminded of their need to learn your will and your will obey for only by following your instruction will man be saved from utter destruction as some were on this day and so if you think about the flood and the destruction so what was the purpose of the flood? Well, the Bible says that, the, that man's heart was evil continually, That's, that all he thought about was evil things, sinful things, and God said, enough is enough. I've tolerated it too much. And so God uh, allowed Noah to build this, this ark. Here we have one righteous man in his family, perhaps with millions of people that would have been alive at that time. And so he, but as Peter talks about He's a preacher of righteousness. And so he's preaching to them and tell him to repent and come on board the ark because uh, you're going to perish. But they can you imagine the, the jokes and the, the, the derision and all that would have been at his expense that he put up with some scientists think it was 120 years or so old of building the ark, that he went through that. But then God said it's time to come on board along with the animals that he had called And then you can can imagine what the, the, the screams and all that would have happened of those people who would have been perishing and wishing that they had believed, but it was too late for them. But when we think about, we see the evidence, whether it's fossils, sedimentary layers, or whatever it may be, this is something God's warning us, isn't it? He's saying, look, this is what happened in the past because of man's sin, and it's going to happen again. It's not going to be a flood because God provided. What did he provide for us? That's a testimony. Right, the rainbow. The rainbow is a testimony that God will never flood the world again. And by the way, do we have floods today? We do, don't we? But they're local floods. They're not a worldwide flood. That, that, uh, and so there was a worldwide flood that God, that, that God allowed to happen in the past to destroy, destroy mankind. And, of course, a lot of animals and all that would have been destroyed and fossilized in the process. So Christ, said, he, Christ points constantly back to the, the time of Noah, warning them that just as what's happened in the past is it's going to happen again, um, but this time later it's going to be destroyed, the earth will be destroyed by some type of fire. So God created a perfect world at the beginning in Genesis one thirty-one. he says it was very good. And then Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and, and we see in Genesis 3, they followed Satan instead of obeying God. And God had to curse the world, but he offered redemption to man. And we see that in Genesis 3.15. And animal sacrifices were a picture of Christ. So we see God's the one, if you think at the beginning, of course, that God... He would have taken, perhaps it was a, a lamb, a couple of lambs that he slaughtered in order to, to clothe Adam and Eve. Because they tried to clothe themselves with fig leaves. That's, they said, no, 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 you don't understand. That, that what you have done is horrible. And so he, he, he took those animals and slaughtered them in order for them to be covered. He's showing them they never would have experienced any type of bloodshed. And now we have blood, and that this is a, and God was instituting the sacrifi- sacrificial system that eventually, of course, would point to Christ, who would become the ultimate sacrifice. So after 2,000 years of man's wickedness, brought God's, God's wrath upon man, and that is the worldwide flood, which is, uh, we've been talking quite a bit of the evidence on that. So God came to earth, he died on the cross to pay the price of man's sin, and he rose again on the third day. So, all these things in the quarter of time that we see, there we have Christ the Creator creating everything, and then we have Christ stepping out of the throne room of heaven in order to become our Savior. So, here we have Christ the Creator becomes Christ the Savior, and, and all of this because He loved us. And God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so I know that uh, there probably a lot of you have ever have made that decision to follow Christ, and maybe some you've come in and you're kind of skeptical, like, nah, I don't know. I, you know. I still really think that, that science points to evolution, and that we need to really we need to really think that through. That's okay, because there are a lot of people that you got to sit down to, and you need to you reason from the scriptures, and you reason from what's real science, and you and you sh- hopefully will come to the conclusion that yeah, the Bible is true and accurate and everything that it says from cover to cover, and that when, when Christ came, He, as the Creator, came to, to die for us on the cross. And so many of you have already placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. You may not have tomorrow. You know, we, we, uh, my wife and I have traveled thousands and thousands of miles, and by the grace of God, It's amazing we haven't had too much that has happened to us, even with all of our children pulling a camper. But there were many times I know that we could have been in a very serious accident, and there were times that we were pretty close to it. So we don't have any guarantee, do we, that even if we walk out these these doors and head home. And I'm not doing that to scare you, but I'm just saying that, again, the Bible says today is a day of salvation. So if you've never placed your faith and trust in him, then today is the day to do that. So I'm going to end with prayer and then we'll turn it over to Pastor. But I, I hope that when you get out, you'll be able to look at the, the portable museum that we have out there and we'll hang around And if you have any questions, too, about that. And there's a lot of things that we didn't cover uh, more in depth, but if you want to talk a little bit more about those afterwards, I, I would be we'd love to do that. So let's pray together. Gracious Lord Jesus, we thank you that you did step out of the throne room of heaven to come to this sin-cursed world. And you didn't have to do that, but you did that because of your love for us. And so we know the scripture so well with John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that you're not willing that any man should perish, but all should come to repentance. And I pray, Lord, if there's someone who's never placed their faith and trust in you, they would do so today. Lord, your word is the answer. And I ask, Lord, that they would understand that you love them and you gave your life for them. Thank you. We praise you. We love you. Thank you for the opportunity to come and be able to share this morning. In your name I
1: ask. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Amen. really loved the conclusion to that because you think about the, the time of the flood and what caused the flood. Evil was unrestrained and the whole world was, was in sin. And God's flood was what? It was judgment on that sin. And yet, even in that judgment, God provided a way for mankind to be saved from it. And that was Noah building an ark. And he preached to the people. For all those years, the 120 years that he was building, he preached to the people. And they didn't get on the ark. But Noah and his family, they were saved. And it says in Hebrews 11... Hebrews 11 and verse number seven says by faith Noah being warned of God of the things not seen as yet moved with fear preparing an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith so ultimately how was Noah saved Noah was saved from the wrath from the destruction of the flood by faith because he believed God and he showed that faith by building an ark and getting in it right and it is the same way with us today. We have all sinned. We all face God's judgment. But God has provided a way that we can be saved. That is through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, for our sins. And how do we get saved? Same way Noah did, by faith in that in that sacrifice for our sins. We're going to have a time of invitation this morning. I mean, if you don't mind standing and closing your eyes, bowing your heads, we'll, we'll go ahead and... Uh, pianist is going to play and if you need to make anything right with the Lord if you do not know the Lord as your Savior I will be up front as well I can talk with you or have one of our men if you're a man talk with you about how you can know the Lord as your Savior or for the ladies we'll have a lady take you out to another room and they can show you what the scriptures say but let's just spend some time talking to the Lord and praising him for the deliverance that he has given us in his son Jesus Christ